I just uh, was so overwhelmed by um, that, that worship this morning. Weren't you? Um, this is that God is so real. He, he's so real. He is so, so real. Does it ever hit you where you just start laughing and crying at the same time? I don't know if you've had that. And there's no spiritual points for having that. And don't feel bad if you don't. But once in a while, it's just like, <laughs> it's not as real. And, and it, it's, uh, you're here this morning and, and you are kind of wondering about us, folks. Uh, you know, what are they, what's this all this hoopla about? Why are they so excited? Or why are they so weepy? Or why do they even come here? And my only word for you would be, if only you knew. If only, if only you saw him. If only you could taste the Lord. And you can if you'll just submit your heart to him. It is, it is so simple. At the end of this service, I'm just going to open it up for anyone who wants to come forward. And I'm speaking to anyone here this morning who is not a believer, who has never committed their life to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you just to come forward up here and the people will be glad to explain to you how to, how to make that happen so you can begin to enter into the reality of this whole thing. To begin to discover for yourself what it is that makes these believers tick, these Christians tick, and jump up and down and get all excited and, and, and live the way they live, praise God. Amen. Well, this morning I, I had kind of thought, this is really weird. I, it, it does take some getting, I can see all your, you guys. Usually it's kind of like a haze out there, but I can see every single one of you. Um, it's a little intimidating, actually, but, you know, so, so I just smile a lot today. Smile a lot and say amen, all right? All right. Um, no, but, but it, it, you know, it's, it's odd. You look at this, and it doesn't seem, it just feels smaller, doesn't it? But we get more chairs in here than we had at Harding High School. It's, but it really gives it kind of a cozy feel. I, I think I like this. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's really... Interesting. Okay. I had really thought a lot about what I was supposed to say, what the Lord would have us to uh, uh, talk on, uh, this inaugural service at Arlington, and I thought maybe it should be on the tabernacle, uh, you know, on, the, on Solomon's temple or something like that. But I really felt led of the Lord, and it's been confirmed since then, that the Lord was really say, saying, go back to square one. Lay some basics. Um, and it, it turns out it fits in with this, you know, this uh, theme we've been developing on studying the furniture of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. But he just said, lay out the simple truth. And you know, sometimes for preachers that's hard to do because you fall into this trap of thinking, well, gosh, most people already know that. You know, I've got to say something new. You know, I've got to come up with a new spin, a new twist, a new something. And if you fall into that trap, you die. You just die. Uh, God doesn't call us to say new stuff. Uh, he calls us to preach the gospel. And the thing is this, it's not what you know that is as important as what you do with what you know. And sometimes the Lord wants us to go back to stuff that most of us, if we're believers, do know already. But he wants us to reconsider it and give the Holy Spirit a chance to drive it in and to really impress it on us and to bring about further transformation. So the message I want to talk on this morning is, is in, on one level, very basic. On another level, it's extremely profound. It's on the bread of heaven. Uh, it's on the bread of heaven, and it was really interesting that after the first service, I spoke on the bread of heaven um, and uh, went back, and uh, several of the people who were in a prayer meeting on Thursday at the church office, they pray on Thursday afternoons, I wasn't there, um, but they got a word of knowledge. Uh, the uh, Lord just gave up like a, a word of knowledge or a prophetic word, and in essence said, uh, go back to the bread of heaven. You need to, the bread of life. And... Um, 
because everyone's kind of nervous about, you know, how's this going to go? How's it going to fit? Or who all goes, is going to come here? And what if people get lost? And, and we were really kind of nervous about it. And the Lord was just saying, go back to the bread. And I didn't have any clue as to that went on. But in fact, the Lord was saying the same thing to me. So we're going to reconsider here the bread from heaven. A little review. A little review. Uh, we've been talking about the... Uh, Moses' tabernacle in the Old Testament and how they wandered through the wilderness and they always had to set up this tent that was sort of the Lord's habitation. And the first piece of furniture that we considered in this tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, which we showed several months ago, really was a symbol of the Trinity. Everything about this tabernacle, it says in Hebrews 9, in the passage that's in your bulletin, I'm not going to take the time to read it again because we've read it a number of times, but it's right there. He says that the things of the Old Testament, specifically the things in the tabernacle were there as a type, type or a symbol of what was to come. And all of those things in that Old Testament were given, in the detail they were given, to instruct us who are walking in this new covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. It pertains to that. In the Holy of Holies, we find the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and the cherubim and seraphim. And what we saw that symbolized was the triune God who is centered on the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. All of our relationship with God is centered on the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, the mercy seat. Outside of the Holy of Holies, this innermost place in, in the tabernacle, was the holy place. And we, there's three pieces of furniture that are in this holy place. And they're all there to teach us something about how we relate to the triune God, what our relationship with the triune God is all about. So we saw there that there's an altar of incense. Incense that's to go up to the Lord. And this, we saw in, in Scripture, was a type, a symbol, a lesson that our lives need to be sending forth the sweet aroma of praise, worship, and prayer. Incense always, throughout the Bible, uh, symbolizes that. And so if you want to relate to the triune God, you have to make as a core value of your life ongoing sweet-smelling worship and praise and prayer. That's how we enter the Holy of Holies. Second thing we need, we talked about a couple weeks ago, and that is the candlestick, the second piece of furniture in the, in the holy place. The candlestick had seven prongs, symbolizes perfect light, which is Jesus Christ. And what the Lord is telling us there is this, as individuals and as a church, if we are going to relate and go forward in the ministry to, with the triune God, we're going to need the wisdom of Jesus Christ. In a world that's full of knowledge but devoid of wisdom as to how to use that knowledge, the church needs the wisdom of God, amen? And we have to operate and go forward not in our natural understanding with the natural minds, with our plans and schemes. We must at all times be considering the wisdom of God. Where is God leading you? Before you just jump up and think, well, here's a sermon I think we should preach on our inaugural Sunday, you need to stop and say, Lord, what do you have in mind? Because it may be that what God has in mind is just the opposite of what the natural mind would have in mind. And that's exactly what he has in mind, praise the Lord. And that's what needs to happen. That's what's going to feed the people. The third piece of furniture in the tabernacle, and this is the one I want to talk on this morning, was the showbread, the table of bread. And what this was about in a nutshell was this. When the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, out in this desert, they didn't have a lot of farmland. Couldn't plant a whole lot of crops. Couldn't raise a whole lot of cattle. They didn't have any means of feeding themselves. So the Lord would send forth manna from heaven. Every day he'd feed his children with this manna from heaven. And they were to go out as a group and collect this manna, but they could only collect enough for that one day. They couldn't store it up. 
this bread was put into this holy place on this table of bread. Now, why? Well, on one level, the Lord was teaching the children of Israel, always remember, always remember, always remember that you rely totally upon my sustenance. You rely altogether all on my grace. You depend on me. And the Lord wants the children of Israel to remember that. It also is a word for us as, as believers. As everything in that Old Testament tabernacle was, was a lesson for us, this also is a lesson. And it has to do with the bread of life. The bread of the Old Testament points to the bread of the New Testament. And the bread of the New Testament is Jesus Christ. Let me read to you uh, this passage from the book of John. The Lord says this. He's talking with the audience. And they say, well, our fathers, they're Jews now, we ate man in the wilderness. Kind of proud of that fact. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then in verse 53, he says this, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, hear these words now, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you have no life in yourselves. Unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. At this point, the Jews are getting a little grossed out. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Abides means to live, to dwell. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. Get that? The metaphor is powerful, it's graphic, and it's crucial. If you eat me, you'll live. If you drink my blood, you'll live. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate, your fathers, and died, but he who eats this bread shall live forevermore. Amen. Pray with me for a moment here. Father, again, we acknowledge your thick presence here this morning, your fire that is consuming this place. And we just ask, once again, confessing out loud our need for you, that you would anoint this message. If you're not in it, it is useless. If you are in it, it will bear whatever fruit you want it to bear. And it won't much matter how I say it. So, Lord, be in it. Be in it, Lord. Anoint it. Infuse it. And transform us with it, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Here's the scoop. This is my first analogy at Arlington High. And so it's not only an analogy, it's a story that functions as an analogy. And like all analogies, you ought to remember it. Uh, it, it should be memorable, and this one is somewhat memorable because it's, like some of my other analogies, a little bit gross. That's just a warning. But, but it's real, and it's to the point. Here it goes. But I figure I have biblical precedent for using gross analogies. Jesus just used one there. I didn't even notice that before. That's quick. I used to love fish sticks. When I was a kid, I loved fish sticks. Um, I, uh, I, after the age of 12, I pretty much had to raise myself, so... They had just invented microwaves. This is the early 70s now. They had invented microwaves and TV dinners. The TV dinners really bit. I mean, remember those old TV dinners in the 70s? Uh, they used to call them steaks. Uh, they were rawhide. And the potatoes were just dry as dust. Uh, the peas were like freeze-dried. It was just blah. 
So I didn't eat too many of those, but I loved fish sticks. You could buy a bunch of these frozen fish sticks, put them in the microwave oven, and two minutes later, you got a full dinner, put a little tartar sauce on them, a little butter, and mmm, they were good. And I had those most of the time. Now, I haven't had fish sticks for about 22 years. I think I tried them once uh, a while back, and it didn't land right. And I'll tell you why. Anyone here ever got food poisoning? <laughs> oh, I got some bad fish sticks around the age of 19. I just ate some. Now, they looked a little different. They were fuzzy around the edges. Um, inside, they had this really weird kind of metallic color. But I'm not one for details, and so, you know, I scarf them down. You know, it, it, it made me feel full. They didn't taste that bad. About 15, 20 minutes later, it hit like a brick wall. I started sweating. I started shaking. My stomach, it was just going around. It was like, a, like you know, some kind of dryer. And, and it, was, it was just, I thought I was going to die. I immediately got in my car and started driving to the hospital. I didn't know what to do, but I really thought I was going to die if I didn't do something. And I come to the emergency room, and I, I'm still holding it together, if you know what I mean. Um, but just barely, you know, kind of things where you got to take short breaths, you know. And I, I get out there, and I, I, I just try to say, quick. And that's all I can say is, quick, you know, because this is going to erupt any second. And so they're trying to get me to the room, but they did not quite succeed. And uh, we're looking at Mount St. Helens here, folks. It was bad. It was, oh, I didn't, I had heard about this, but I'd never seen it, and I certainly never experienced it, but the stomach is capable, under certain conditions, of contracting at high speeds, which projects stuff four feet. It was amazing, you know. It's like the stomach is performing some exorcism on what you just ate. And it just jets, you know. And there's a spiritual application, hang with me here. It jets. And I'm only telling you half of the story, but I'm not going to go to the other half. It was a bad situation. Boom. Firecracker on two ends. It was bad news. I get into this room, and the nurses are taking care of me, and, and they, you'd think it was all gone by now. Uh, but I'm still, the room is spinning, I'm still feeling really sick, and they're going to do some tests on me, and I don't know what it was about, but they started to raise the bed. And there's three very, the, the nurses ahead of me, and the one right in front of me, and I'm trying to go, oh, no, don't. But, you know, you can't talk much, you know. But I'm trying, don't, don't. But they're like, oh, it'll be okay, this will only take a second, and I'm like, you really don't get it. And the one right in front of me was such a cute nurse to it. <laughs> You know, it's like, this will make a great first impression. But, <laughs> an impression it made. I, I, I tried to turn my head aside in time, but it just managed to, you know, get all three of them this way. And they screamed and ran out. It was bad. It was, uh, I tried to tell you. It is nasty, nasty, nasty stuff. And the point I learned there was this. When you ingest something that was not meant to be ingested, it makes you profoundly sick. Uh, when you die, when you eat stuff that your body wasn't meant to eat, it makes you really, really sick. Now, most things in life, um, God creates a pattern for the physical world, and He basically follows it on the uh, for the physical world, and He basically follows it on a spiritual plane. There's there's usually what applies physically also has has an application spiritually, and this is certainly a case in point. God made us. God made us 
so that our soul is hungry in the same way that our body is hungry. Our souls are not self-contained. Our spirits are not self-contained. It needs to be fed. It needs to eat. But it needs to eat what it was made to eat. It, was, it needs to consume the food that it was created to consume. And when it consumes other sorts of things, the soul gets profoundly sick. We were made, we were every human being that's ever created was made to eat the bread of heaven that Jesus talks about in John chapter 6. We were made to feast on the love of Jesus Christ. We were made, the soul was made for fellowship with the triune God. We were made to live in eternal, harmonious, compatible relationships with God. We were made to receive and give back and join in with the ecstatic dance of the Trinity throughout eternity. That's why we were created. Our soul needs that. It's starving without it. But when we start to eat stuff, to feed our soul, our well-being, our self-identity, our egos... When we start to feed off of stuff other than the bread that comes from heaven, we get profoundly sick. The trouble is in this fallen world that the devil specializes in getting us to think that bad fish sticks are good fish sticks. He's able to put a spin on things to bring about a deception to make us think that stuff that God never intended that we would devour spiritually ends up looking like stuff we ought to devour uh, spiritually. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. First thing the Lord, the, the, the first thing the enemy says to Adam and Eve, you know, the Lord said, "Eat of any tree that you want. It's good food. Eat it. Lum, scrumptious. But there's one tree. Don't eat it. Bad fish. Makes you sick. And the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Don't do it." So the enemy comes in there, and that's the one tree points out. Look at that. The Bible says that Eve looked at it and it looked good. Oh, it looked good to make you wise. It looked good for spiritual power. In fact, it looked like if you ate of this tree, man, you're going to be like God. You'll improve your state of being. You'll be healthier than you ever were before. You will have arrived. And the devil puts a spin on things, so you think, mmm, luscious, scrumptious, good, and you want to eat it. You want to eat it spiritually, which means it's going to make you something. It's going to feed your soul. You're, you're going to really feel good about yourself or whatnot. And the devil is still doing that same trick, and we need to be so aware of it. Puts a spin on things. You need to devour money. Mm, if you just have more money, you know, boy, that's really going to... Don't you feel good when you got a lot of money, and now you've really arrived, and you're getting the things, and you're doing the American dream, and, oh, it's just feeding you, feeding you, and you're eating this bad fish. And maybe what you don't notice, but you're profoundly sick, and in fact, if you, if you could look at it from God's eyes, you're projectile vomiting all over the place. You got stuff in your life that's killing you. You got the anxiety in your soul. You got the nervousness, nervousness that's there. You feel empty in your life. There's a, there's a vacuum there that you can't fill. You got no power to change yourself. You're not happy with the way things are going. You can't get your relationships straight. Things are not going well. But here's what the devil does. Instead, he wants to keep you from putting that projectile vomiting with the food that you ate that's making you sick. In fact, what he does is he says, oh, what you need is more of the bad fish. You know, that emptiness is because you need more of the fish. So right when you're doing your purging thing, he's trying to cram down more fish, convincing us that if only we had a little more money, had a bigger car, had a better house, had better clothes, then we'd be happy, then we would have arrived. And the only problems you got is that you don't have enough things. So you get addicted to chasing things, getting sick, thinking that you need more and more and more of it. Feeding your soul with stuff that the soul was never meant to eat. Nothing wrong with money, but you're not supposed to eat it. Or there's other things, success. 
Oh, look at that tree of success. If I just, you know, if I get that promotion, if I just get a little more recognition, if people just come to appreciate me, if I just kind of climb up that ladder, then, then, then I will really have arrived. So you eat it and you eat it and you eat it and it makes you sicker and sicker and sicker. Anxiety, powerlessness, bad relationships, depression, melancholy. I don't know what kind of stuff you're throwing out, but it's there. You're sick. The devil doesn't want you to see that the reason for it is because of what you're trying to eat. He tells you that, oh, if you just ate a little more of that stuff, you'd be better off. There's a million and ten different kinds of bad fish that we can eat. Some people eat a, the, the, the pseudo-food of, of uh, defensiveness. They have a defense strategy that gives them life, always keeping people at bay. Other people, it's their pride. Oh, they just get fed on their pride, their superiority. Other people, it's the kind of attention that they can get. Some people, it's their religion. You feed off a religion, the way you do it, the way you carry yourself, or the way your family's together, whatever, and you think that that's feeding your soul, but it's making you sick. And you wonder why you got the ongoing soul problems that you've got in your life. The devil says, well, what you need is a little more religion. That can be a demonic thing. Paul says so in 1 Timothy. I'll go and buy all the right stuff. It can be a demonic thing, but you think that this is really making you healthy. The strategies that you have for protecting yourself, for controlling people, that's a way of feeding yourself. If I just control everyone around me so they won't leave, then I'll be okay. You try to control, you try to defend yourself, or whatever your strategy is. And the devil says, if you just do a little more of it, then you're going to be healthier. But in fact, that's the very thing that's making you sick. What you need is the bread of heaven. What you need is to eat the bread that comes down from heaven, the bread who is called Jesus Christ, the, the food that you were meant to have. Your soul was made for it, and everything else is going to make you sick if you're eating it to feed your soul. perfect example of this is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The woman at the well. Uh, here's this lady. She's a Samaritan. First of all, she's a lady in the first century. That's one mark against you in the first century. And she's a Samaritan woman. That's ten marks against her because Jews aren't supposed to talk to Samaritans. Not only is she a Samaritan woman, John chapter 4 here, but she's a Samaritan woman who's been married five times and is now shacking up with a guy who's not her husband. This is a hundred marks against her in the first century. And here Jesus goes to the well and strikes up a conversation with her. Starts to talk with her. Which tells you, folks, that if we're doing the work of Jesus, we ought to be making bridges, getting relationships with people that... Uh, that the, the righteous folks don't think we ought to be having relationships with, especially across racial lines, because that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Amen? Amen? Amen. He goes out of his way, talks to her. It's not going to look good, Jesus. What about your reputation? Ah, he's caring, caring about the woman. And then he, in his conversation, note this. This is, the, this is a little auxiliary note. He doesn't shoot at the fact that she's been married five times and is now shacking up with somebody. He lets her know that he knows about this, just as a way of showing that he's the Messiah. But he doesn't blast it. He doesn't go into a tirade about how it's heinous sin to be married five times and now living with somebody who's out of wedlock. Because Jesus knows what we got to know if we're thinking like Jesus, and that is that behavior's never the issue. Behavior's not the issue. The issue is this. That's just the projectile vomiting. If you're sick, you're going to be doing this kind of stuff. Try to put a cork in the person's mouth. Find out what's making them sick. What is the hunger that's driving you? What is the thirst that's driving you? This is what he wants to get at with the woman. What is it? What need are you trying to meet by going from man to man to man to man? That's what's going on. What's driving you into this? And what was driving this woman, I believe, and it drives a lot of women today. But it's just the idea that if you just found the right guy, they'd appreciate you. Then you'd arrive. If you get enough male attention, if you get enough male affection, then you're going to be okay. Your self-esteem will be good. You were made to please a man. I want to tell you this morning, that's bad fish. That's bad fish. There's no life in that one. I mean, not all men are bad fish. I don't mean to say that, but... 
We're good for a few things, but don't get life from us women. And that's kind of a cultural thing. It was back then and it is now. What Jesus says to her is simply this. You're thirsty. I got some water that you can drink. And if you drink of this well, you'll never thirst again. I'd like to have something you can drink of. You'll never thirst again. You'll be perpetually satisfied with this. And he was referring to the water of life that he is. In fact, he says in John 7, 38 and 39, if you, if you believe in me, out of your own belly shall flow rivers of living water, a well of life and a well of joy and a well of peace that's going to just come out of you. You're not going to be looking for wells. You'll be carrying around the infinite reservoir of God's well in your inner being. It comes by drinking the blood of Jesus. Christ, eating the flesh of Jesus Christ, who's the bread of heaven, who's the one that can make our soul whole. Amen? The question you got to ask yourself is this. What are you getting fed on? What are you feeding yourself with? Now, you all know the right answer to that now. Jesus! But I'm not asking what are you supposed to be getting fed with. This is a reality check here. What are you, in fact, getting fed with? What in reality... Do this. Take you, subtract other things in your life, and what remains? And if the core of your well-being, your sense of, of, of peace and joy, is hanging on things around you, you're eating it. There's nothing wrong with feeling good about things, feeling good about achievements, feeling good about what you have, being grateful for that. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm not coming down on that. But there's a danger in it and that it can become food for you. It can become bad fish. And if you do, it's going to start bringing about projectile vomiting in your life. There's going to be things there that God doesn't want there. What are you really getting fed with? Jesus wants to be the core of our diet spiritually. In fact, this is the whole of our diet spiritually. Here's a way of asking it. How much do you need Jesus? How much do you really need Jesus? Not just theoretically, no, really. To be a person who thinks life is worthwhile, how much do you need Jesus? To feel great about yourself, how much do you need Jesus? To live the life that you're called to live, how much do you need Jesus? The children in, in, in the desert, the children of Israel in the desert, they knew every day that if God didn't feed them, they were going to starve to death. It'd be an advantage if it was that obvious to us that we need Jesus that much. It'd be an advantage because we'd see how desperately hungry we are for him. The problem is that it's easy to forget that we need him. It's easy to forget that we need them. In our culture especially, talked to some folks from Haiti this last week. One of them was saying, you know, it's sad the poverty that they have. It's sad the things that, the, the things that they lack. But there's one advantage, and that is that they know how much they need Jesus. I mean, when they say, give us this day our daily bread, they mean it. We can go to the grocery store. You see, you don't have to be a believer to get bread. They know how to depend on Jesus. When someone's sick, they don't have doctors to go to. And I'm not blasting doctors. Thank God for doctors. They're a blessing. But you can't forget that you need Jesus and that he has healing available to you also and that he can intervene in this. They know they need Jesus. But we in America, you see, this is what I believe that word of knowledge was about this, this, this Thursday at our church. Don't start getting self-sufficient on me, the Lord's telling us. Don't start trusting in what you got on where you're going and how you're doing and the programs that you got and the music that you're singing, the sermons that you think you can put together because it all comes to nothing, less than nothing, if I'm not feeding you the bread of life from heaven. Rely on the bread. Rely on the bread. Don't get self-sufficient. In this culture, you know, you, it's so easy to go all throughout the day and never think about God, never think about the Lord, let alone depend on Him. The Lord is saying, go back to the basics. You need him. You're starving without him. Eat the bread of life. Second point is this. He, we're, Jesus is to be, the, Jesus, the bread of heaven, is to be our life. 
The second point is that you got to eat them. You got to eat them. Now he uses this metaphor. It's graphic. It sounds kind of cannibalistic, but he uses it on purpose. Now he wasn't advocating cannibalism. I don't know who I need to preach that to, but maybe there's someone here. Um, we're a very diverse church. Um, stop that cannibalism now. I'm really getting mad. We're losing members, I know. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got a bunch of joy. That church will eat you alive. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> stop. Stop. Come on now. And he wasn't talking about communion. They weren't thinking about communion at this point. He was talking about a relationship that, that, that he wants to have. Now think about this thing eat. Do you ever think about what it is you're doing when you eat something? Uh, hopefully you don't think about it while you're eating it because you might stop eating it if you think about what you're doing while you eat. But since we're not eating, I'll go ahead and tell you. You're eating a hamburger. You go to McDonald's afterwards. You get this nice juicy quarter pound of cheese and you bite into it. Now what's happening there? Well, for starters, that thing was mooing and eating grass two days ago or four <laughs> days ago. Think about that. You know, you know, if you went up to a cow and bit into it, you, know, you think, oh, that's barbaric. But that's what you're doing. You're devouring a cow. Gosh. Yeah. And then you eat it, and it becomes part of you. You, you. you take it, you chew it, you swallow it. Now think about it. The cow starts to be you. Your body goes, oh, thanks. And now you're, you're sucking life out of the cow. And um, you are what you eat. You're becoming the cow. Or the chicken. <laughs> or the cow is becoming you, hopefully. But it's true, you are what you eat. I'm sitting here before you. I am right now, if you could break it down, I'm part cow, part dog, part... No, no, not, not dog. <laughs> I don't like dog. Part chicken, part, you know, I don't know, I'm all those things. I'm not part fish, though, okay? No fish. There's nothing fishy about me. I got done with that 22 years ago. But I, okay, so it becomes part of you. Here's the thing. But now, if you go to McDonald's afterwards, and I'm going to go even more profound now, folks, and you took that quarter pound with cheese and you just held it, it wouldn't feed you, would it? This is a hard one. A, yes. B, no. <laughs> or what if you sniffed it? Mmm. Now, you're still not getting fed. It'd be kind of enjoyable, maybe, but it wouldn't be getting fed. What if you rubbed it on your, on your body? <laughs> you're still not getting fed. In fact, you could go buy 10,000 quarter pounders with cheese and make a bed and lie in the thing and you're surrounded by hamburgers, but you're not, you're starving to death unless you eat it. The point of a hamburger is to be eaten. Now that sounds silly, doesn't it? It is silly. But do you know that we do that all the time with Jesus Christ? We do it all the time. Some of us do it all the time. All of us do it some of the time where we don't devour him. Now follow me on this. We don't devour him. Uh, we have, we have uh, our religion. You have a religion. It's something out here. I have a religion. I go to church. I have a religion. I carry a Bible. Now, it's good to have a religion and to go to church and to carry a Bible, but if you're not eating Jesus Christ, you're starving to death. That's the bottom line of the whole thing. Or sometimes we can rub up against the Holy Spirit. You know, oh, this, this is nice, but we don't let him in. Or we kind of just rub up against truth. Maybe we smell the truth. We, we maybe even dabble in a little bit of ministry. You know, but it's always outside of us. It's something we do. It's not something that we are. But God wants us not to do something different, but to be someone different. And that comes from eating something different. And that difference is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. To devour Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let him on the inside. That's what it's about. To eat him, to drink him, to digest him, to let that metastasize inside of you. He doesn't want to, Jesus doesn't want to be sniffed. And you know what I'm talking about now. Call me out of context, they'll lock me up. 
But he doesn't want to be sniffed. He doesn't want to be just smelled. He doesn't want to be handled. He doesn't want to be played with. He doesn't want to be a footnote to the rest of your life. He wants to be your life. He wants to be your all in all. He wants to be the foundation for everything you're about. The, the, he wants to be the center of your dreams, the center of your aspiration. He wants to be to you what a cow is to you when you eat the hamburger. He wants to now let your eyes become his eyes, your hands become his hands, his heart becomes your heart, his burden for people becomes your burden for people. The Bible tells us he wants to abide in us and us in him. Do you see the kind of unity that he's striving for here? But it only happens, it only happens, it only happens when you let Jesus Christ on the inside over and over again, when you're eating the bread that is of heaven, not sniffing it, not playing with it, not being religious, I'm talking about eating Jesus Christ. Take him on the inner being, the bread that comes from heaven. How do you eat Jesus Christ? Well, it has to do with relationship. It, it, it doesn't happen apart from relationship. And relationship takes time. I'll close with this. Time. Time is the crucial ingredient here. There's other things to be said, but for us in this day and age, time. you don't have a marriage unless you have time for a marriage. I don't care how compatible you are. It only is a marriage to the extent that you have time for it. Do you have time together? Um, so it is in our marriage with Jesus Christ. We need to, let's just remind ourselves here, we are in desperate need of Jesus Christ, amen? We need to have time where you sit and you just savor him, eat, feast at the table of his love. Alone in your house, have some time. Here together as a group, we've got to make time for church where we can come together and worship as a body. Time for small group fellowships where, you know, the children of Israel, they ate it together. It was a community thing. So also we need to have time together to enjoy the feast of Jesus Christ together. To eat his flesh and to drink his blood. It takes time. The more you invest in it, the more you get out of it. It doesn't mean that your salvation hangs upon how much that God has a clock up there. But it's not going to take place in your inner being unless you're putting time into it. Take time to feast on the bread of Jesus Christ. It's something we've got to do on a regular ba day, basis. I, I'm going to eat today, but I also ate yesterday. But you know what? I need it today. And a lot of times we believers, we, 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 we think, you know, I had a great relationship with the Lord, and then we coast. I do this all the time. It's like, I'm really on top of the mountain, and then I just sort of let up, and, and then you find yourself coasting. You know what? That, that starves you. That starves you. Every day the children of Israel had to get manna anew. Every day we need to spend time eating the Lord, eating his love. And I don't mean snacking. Okay? Some of us live on snacks. You grab a little pretzel here, a little gummy bear there, you know, a little this and that. This is how Christians do things. You don't have time for anything else. Jesus doesn't want to be snacked on, okay? He wants to be the main meal, and he wants to take some time savoring it. The Lord's calling us back to the foundational thing, which is this. He, he wants his life to be our life, and that means we have to let him in to the inside, the deep recesses of our life. And we have to do it on a regular, regular basis. Everything else comes as a result of that. This morning, after we dismiss, I'm going to pray, but after we dismiss, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never begun that walk with him, I want to implore you, encourage you to come forward here. It's a simple thing, very, very short. No one's going to be trying to sell you a vacuum cleaner or any kind of gimmick. People worry about this. It's, we don't need to have to tell us your name if you don't want, but it's just a way of being ushered into the kingdom. Or maybe you're here as, as Deb comes forward. She's going to play a little bit if you want to. Sit and savor the Lord a little bit. Enter into worship a little bit more if that's where the Lord's leading you. Or if you want to come forward here and worship a little more, just to maybe you need to get rekindled a little bit to begin to re reignite the fire and to feast on the love of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do that. Let's close with prayer. Father, I thank you for the manna, the true manna which comes from heaven. 
You feed us, Lord God, so abundantly. You shower us with this bread from heaven. Father, I pray that we would eat it. I pray, God, that I would eat it on a regular basis, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us see the bad fish in our life, the things that are too important to us, where it's actually uh, defining us, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help every person here as we go out of here to let go of that and to grab onto you as the food that they were created to eat. Lord God, I thank you just for this service here this morning. I pray, Lord, you, you, you hit us like this every Sunday morning, Lord. Uh, God, prepare your people when we come together to be bound together by your love and just to have the power of God fall on us. As we go out of here, Lord God, I pray that we would remember, remember to eat you, to take you into our innermost heart and to abstain from everything else that's not good for us. In your name we pray. Amen.